0: Part three, section eighteen of *Swann's Way by Marcel Proust. Translated by C. K. Scott Moncrief, eighteen eighty nine to nineteen thirty. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Expatriate in Bangor, Maine. Part three, Swan in Love. Section eighteen. My uncle advised Swan not to see Odette for some days after which she would love him all the more he advised odette to let swann meet her everywhere and as often as he pleased a few days later odette told swann that she had just had a rude awakening she had discovered that my uncle was the same as other men he had tried to take her by assault she calmed swann who at first was for rushing out to challenge my uncle to a duel but he refused to shake hands with him when they met again he regretted this rupture all the more because he had hoped, if he had met my uncle Adolf again sometimes, and had contrived to talk things over with him in strict confidence, to be able to get him to throw a light on certain rumours with regard to the life that Odette had led in the old days at Nice. For my uncle Adolf used to spend the winter there, and Swan thought that it might indeed have been there, perhaps, that he had first known Odette the first words which someone had let fall in his hearing about a man who it appeared had been odette's lover had left swan dumbfounded but the very things which he would before knowing them have regarded as the most terrible to learn and the most impossible to believe were once he knew them incorporated for all time in the general mass of his sorrow he admitted them he could no longer have understood their not existing only each one of them in its passage traced an indelible line altering the picture that he had formed of his mistress at one time indeed he felt that he could understand that this moral lightness of which he would never have suspected odette was perfectly well known and that at baden or nice when she had gone in the past to spend several months in one or the other place she had enjoyed a sort of amorous notoriety he attempted in order to question them to get into touch again with certain men of that stamp but these were aware that he knew odette and besides he was afraid of putting the thought of her into their heads of setting them once more upon their track but he to whom up till then nothing could have seemed so tedious as was all that pertained to the cosmopolitan life of baden or of nice now that he learned that odette had perhaps led a gay life once in those pleasure cities although he could never find out whether it had been solely to satisfy a want of money which thanks to himself she no longer felt or from some capricious instinct which might at any moment revive in her he would lean in impotent anguish blinded and dizzy over the bottomless abyss into which had passed and which had been engulfed those years of his own early in macmahon's Septennat, in which one spent the winter on the promenade des anglais the summer between the limes of baden and would find in those years a sad but splendid profundity such as a poet might have lent to them and he would have devoted to the reconstruction of all the insignificant details that made up the daily round on the cote d'azur in those days if it could have helped him to understand something that still baffled him in the smile or in the eyes of odette more enthusiasm than does the esthete who ransacks the extant documents of fifteenth-century florence so as to try to penetrate further into the soul of the primavera the fair Vanna, or the venus of botticelli he would sit often without saying a word to her only gazing at her and dreaming and she would comment you do look sad it was not very long since from the idea that she was an excellent creature comparable to the best women that he had known he had passed to that of her being kept and yet already by an inverse process he had returned from the odette de crecy perhaps too well known to the holiday-makers to the ladies men of nice and baden to this face the expression on which was so often gentle to this nature so eminently human he would ask himself what does it mean after all to say that every one at nice knows who odette de crecy is reputations of that sort even when they're true are always based upon other people's ideas he would reflect that this legend even if it were authentic was something external to odette was not inherent in her like a mischievous and ineradicable personality that the creature who might have been led astray was a woman with frank eyes a heart full of pity for the sufferings of others a docile body which he had pressed tightly in his arms and explored with his fingers a woman of whom he might one day come into absolute possession if he succeeded in making himself indispensable to her. There she was, often tired, her face left blank for the nonce by that eager, feverish preoccupation with the unknown things which made Swann suffer. She would push back her hair with both hands. Her forehead, her whole face, would seem to grow larger. Then suddenly some ordinary human thought, some worthy sentiment such as is to be found in all creatures when in a moment of rest or meditation they are free to express themselves would flash out from her eyes like a ray of gold and immediately the whole of her face would light up like a grey landscape swathed in clouds which suddenly are swept away and the dull scene transfigured at the moment of the sun's setting the life which occupied odette at such times even the future which she seemed to be dreamily regarding swann could have shared with her no evil disturbance seemed to have left any effect on them rare as they became those moments did not occur in vain by the process of memory swann joined the fragments together abolished the intervals between them cast as in molten gold the image of an odette compact of kindness and tranquillity for whom he was to make later on as we shall see in the second part of the story sacrifices which the other odette would never have won from him but how rare those moments were and how seldom he now saw her even in regard to their evening meeting she would never tell him until the last minute whether she would be able to see him for reckoning on his being always free she wished first to be certain that no one else would offer to come to her she would plead that she was obliged to wait for an answer which was of the very greatest importance and if even after she had made swann come to her house any of her friends asked her halfway through the evening to join them at some theatre or at supper afterwards she would jump for joy and dress herself with all speed as her toilette progressed every movement that she made brought swann nearer to the moment when he would have to part from her when she would fly off with irresistible force and when at length she was ready and plunging into her mirror a last glance strained and brightened by her anxiety to look well smeared a little salve on her lips fixed a stray lock of hair over her brow and called for her cloak of sky-blue silk with golden tassels swann would be looking so wretched that she would be unable to restrain a gesture of impatience as she flung at him so that is how you thank me for keeping you here till the last minute and i thought i was being so nice to you well i shall know better another time some time at the risk of annoying her he made up his mind that he would find out where she had gone and even dreamed of a defensive alliance with forcheville who might perhaps have been able to tell him but anyhow when he knew with whom she was spending the evening it was very seldom that he could not discover among all his innumerable acquaintance someone who knew if only indirectly the man with whom she had gone out, and could easily obtain this or that piece of information about him. And while he was writing to one of his friends, asking him to try to get a little light thrown upon some point or other, he would feel a sense of relief on ceasing to vex himself with questions to which there was no answer, and transferring to someone else the strain of interrogation. It is true that Swan was little the wiser for such information as he did receive, to know a thing does not enable us always to prevent its happening but after all the things that we know we do hold if not in our hands at any rate in our minds where we can dispose of them as we choose which gives us the illusion of a sort of power to control them he was quite happy whenever m de charlus was with odette he knew that between m de charlus and her nothing untoward could ever happen that when m de charlus went anywhere with her it was out of friendship for himself and that he would make no difficulty about telling him everything that she had done sometimes she had declared so emphatically to swann that it was impossible for him to see her on a particular evening she seemed to be looking forward so keenly to some outing that swann attached a very real importance to the fact that m de charlus was free to accompany her next day without daring to put many questions to m de charlus he would force him by appearing not quite to understand his first answers to give him more after each of which he would feel himself increasingly relieved for he very soon learned that odette had spent her evening in the most innocent of dissipations but what do you mean my dear mme i don't quite understand you didn't go straight from her house to the musee surely you went somewhere else first no that is very odd you don't know how amusing you are my dear mme but what an idea of hers to go on to the Noir afterwards it was her idea i suppose no yours that's strange after all it wasn't a bad idea she must have known dozens of people there no she never spoke to a soul how extraordinary then you sat there like that just you and she all by yourselves i can picture you sitting there you are a worthy fellow my dear Mame. i am exceedingly fond of you swann was now quite at ease to him who had so often happened when talking to friends who knew nothing of his love friends to whom he hardly listened to hear certain detached sentences as for instance i saw madame de crecy yesterday she was with a man i didn't know sentences which dropped into his heart and passed at once into a solid state grew hard as stalagmites and seared and tore him as they lay there irremovable a charming by way of contrast were the words she didn't know a soul she never spoke to a soul how freely they coursed through him how fluid they were, how vaporous, how easy to breathe. And yet a moment later he was telling himself that Odette must find him very dull if those were the pleasures that she preferred to his company. And their very insignificance, though it reassured him, pained him as if her enjoyment of them had been an act of treachery. Even when he could not discover where she had gone, it would have sufficed to alleviate the anguish that he then felt for which odette's presence the charm of her company was the sole specific a specific which in the long run served like many other remedies to aggravate the disease but at least brought temporary relief to his sufferings it would have sufficed had odette only permitted him to remain in her house while she was out to wait there until that hour of her return into whose stillness and peace would flow to be mingled and lost there all memory of those intervening hours which some sorcery some cursed spell had made him imagine as somehow different from the rest but she would not he must return home he forced himself on the way to form various plans ceased to think of odette he even reached the stage while he undressed of turning over all sorts of happy ideas in his mind it was with a light heart buoyed with the anticipation of going to see some favourite work of art on the morrow that he jumped into bed and turned out the light but no sooner had he made himself ready to sleep relaxing a self-control of which he was not even conscious so habitual had it become than an icy shudder convulsed his body and he burst into sobs he did not wish to know why but dried his eyes saying with a smile this is delightful i'm becoming neurasthenic after which he could not save himself from utter exhaustion at the thought that next day he must begin afresh his attempt to find out what odette had been doing must use all his influence to contrive to see her this compulsion to an activity without respite without variety without result was so cruel a scourge that one day noticing a swelling over his stomach he felt an actual joy in the idea that he had perhaps a tumour which would prove fatal that he need not concern himself with anything further that it was his malady which was going to govern his life to make a plaything of him until the not distant end if indeed at this period it often happened that though without admitting it even to himself he longed for death it was in order to escape not so much from the keenness of his sufferings as from the monotony of his struggle and yet he would have wished to live until the time came when he no longer loved her when she would have no reason for lying to him when at length he might learn from her whether on the day when he had gone to see her in the afternoon she had or had not been in the arms of forcheville often for several days on end the suspicion that she was in love with someone else would distract his mind from the question of Forcheville, making it almost immaterial to him like those new developments of a continuous state of ill health which seem for a little time to have delivered us from their predecessors there were even days when he was not tormented by any suspicion he fancied that he was cured but next morning when he awoke he felt in the same place the same pain a sensation which the day before he had as it were diluted in the torrent of different impressions but it had not stirred from its place indeed it was the sharpness of this pain that had awakened him since odette never gave him any information as to those vastly important matters which took up so much of her time every day albeit he had lived long enough in the world to know that such matters are never anything else than pleasures he could not sustain for any length of time the effort to imagine them his brain would become a void then he would pass a finger over his tired eyelids in the same way as he might have wiped his eyeglass and would cease altogether to think there emerged however from this unexplored tract certain occupations which reappeared from time to time vaguely connected by odette with some obligation towards distant relatives or old friends who inasmuch as they were the only people whom she was in the habit of mentioning as preventing her from seeing him seemed to swann to compose the necessary unalterable setting of her life because of the tone in which she referred from time to time to the day when i go with my friend to the hippodrome if when he felt unwell and had thought perhaps odette would be kind and come to see me he remembered suddenly that it was one of those very days he would correct himself with an oh no it's not worth while asking her to come i should have thought of it before this is the day when she goes with her friend to the hippodrome we must confine ourselves to what is possible no use wasting our time in proposing things that can't be accepted and are declined in advance and this duty that was incumbent upon odette of going to the hippodrome to which swann thus gave way seemed to him to be not merely ineluctable in itself but the mark of necessity which stamped it seemed to make plausible and legitimate everything that was even remotely connected with it if when odette in the street had acknowledged the salute of a passer-by which had aroused swann's jealousy she replied to his questions by associating the stranger with any of the two or three paramount duties of which she had often spoken to him if for instance she said that's a gentleman who was in my friend's box the other day the one i go to the hippodrome with that explanation would set swann's suspicions at rest it was after all inevitable that this friend should have other guests than odette in her box at the hippodrome but he had never sought to form or succeeded in forming any coherent impression of them oh how he would have loved to know her that friend who went to the hippodrome how he would have loved her to invite him there with odette how readily he would have sacrificed all his acquaintance for no matter what person who was in the habit of seeing odette were she but a manicurist or a girl out of a shop he would have taken more trouble incurred more expense for them than for queens would they not have supplied him out of what was contained in their knowledge of the life of odette with the one potent anodyne for his pain with what joy would he have hastened to spend his days with one or other of those humble folk with whom odette kept up friendly relations either with some ulterior motive or from genuine simplicity of nature how willingly would he have fixed his abode for ever in the attics of some sordid but enviable house where odette went but never took him and where if he had lived with a little retired dressmaker whose lover he would readily have pretended to be he would have been visited by odette almost daily in those regions that were almost slums what a modest existence abject if you please but delightful nourished by tranquillity and happiness he would have consented to lead indefinitely it sometimes happened again that when after meeting swann she saw some man approaching whom he did not know he could distinguish upon odette's face that look of sorrow which she had worn on the day when he had come to her while forcheville was there but this was rare from on the days when in spite of all that she had to do and of her dread of what people would think she did actually manage to see swann the predominant quality in her attitude now was self-assurance a striking contrast perhaps an unconscious revenge for perhaps a natural reaction from the timorous emotion which in the early days of their friendship she had felt in his presence and even in his absence when she began a letter to him with the words my dear my hand trembles so that i can scarcely write so at least she pretended and a little of that emotion must have been sincere or she would not have been anxious to enlarge and emphasize it so swann had been pleasing to her then our hands do not tremble except for ourselves or for those whom we love when they have ceased to control our happiness how peaceful how easy how bold do we become in their presence in speaking to him in writing to him now she no longer employed those words by which she had sought to give herself the illusion that he belonged to her creating opportunities for saying my and mine when she referred to him you are all that i have in the world it is the perfume of our friendship i shall keep it nor spoke to him of the future of death itself as of a single adventure which they would have to share in those early days whatever he might say to her she would answer admiringly you know you will never be like other people she would gaze at his long slightly bald head of which people who know only of his successes used to think he's not regularly good-looking if you like but he is smart that tuft that eyeglass, that smile and with more curiosity perhaps to know him as he really was than desire to become his mistress she would sigh i do wish i could find out what there is in that head of yours but now whatever he might say she would answer in a tone sometimes of irritation sometimes indulgent ah so you never will be like other people she would gaze at his head which was hardly aged at all by his recent anxieties though people now thought of it by the same mental process which enables one to discover the meaning of a piece of symphonic music of which one has read the programme or the likenesses in a child whose family one has known He's not positively ugly, if you like, but he is really rather absurd. That eyeglass, that tuft, that smile, realizing in their imagination, fed by suggestion, the invisible boundary which divides at a few months' interval the head of an ardent lover from a cuckold's and would say, "Oh, I do wish I could change you. put some sense into that head of yours." End of part Three, section eighteen.